Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Welcome to a brand new edition of Freedom Books, Flowers in the Moon, the podcast brought to you each week by the Times Literary Supplement. My name is Sister Gable, the editor of the TLS. With me is the provolone of the critical community, Thea Lenarduzzi. Hello. Hello, Hello. Thea. I'm going to run out of cheese things. Well, I think it's some. especially cruel to give me that introduction when we're in company as well. It's, it's listened to by other people. It's different I don't want to break when they're here. I don't, I don't want to break it to you, Thea. <laughs> some people do listen to this podcast about, and listen to my cheese introductions. Uh, we have a special show today which follows our lead essay in this week's paper as we try to answer the question who are the most exciting and eagerly anticipated novelists from the British Isles currently working today to help us to do so we're joined in the studio by superstar critic Alex Clark and super junketeering TLS fiction editor Toby Lishtig The origins of all this began in a conversation, I think, between Toby and me on the subject of the modern literary canon. When people talked about major writers, we felt they still fell back on a bunch of, usually men, from the 1980s, Amos, Rushdie, Swift, Ishiguro and so on. Were they really the authors most at the top of the literary game now? Was there even something definable as a literary game at all? So we thought we'd test it. We wrote to about 200 notable names in the publishing industry, editors, agents, publishers and writers, and asked them to nominate 10 British and Irish novelists whom they consider to be producing the best writing at the moment, the ones whose recent books have been among their most impressive and whose future work is most eagerly anticipated. And most did, often with entertaining and illuminating caveats and comments. So we've asked Alex Clark to go through the list and start a debate about those on it. Are these the best we have? Is that judgment even possible or useful? And doesn't Will Self keep telling us that the novel is dead anyway? All good questions. Alex Clark is here in the studio along with Toby Lichtig, the man you will all know for his globetrotting and his fanboydom towards Ama McBride, which may or may not be of relevance here. Hello to you both. Hello, I want my own cheese. Do you want no, she, you to devise a cheese, a cheese for Hello, everyone? I'm happy not to have any cheese. So. You ruin everything, I'm totally. going to ruin it. Total Sorry. Best kill. Yeah. We'll come up with a cheese for Alex as Please. we go along. Right, before we get distracted into cheese, Toby, 
Tell us the top 10. I'll give you the top 10. Um, top 11. They're actually. really a top 11 because the uh, joint 10th place. There are two in joint 10th place. So this is, this is actually in order. It's in order of uh, the number of nominations received. So we start with Ali Smith, Hilary Mantel, Zadie Smith, Katsuo Ishiguru, Ema McBride, so it was indeed relevant, Colm Toybean, Nicola Barker, Alan Hollinghurst, Anne Enright, Sebastian Barry and John McGregor. There it is. So, Alex, before we get into the detail of what that means, if anything, what do you make of the exercise as a whole? Well, we approached it in the spirit of mischief, didn't we? A little bit, as <laughs> yeah. well as interest. As we approach everything, I like to think. Exactly. Because, we got, you know, you make the point about the game. These things are a kind of game. We know, as serious readers, how we like to think of ourselves when we're not having fun in podcasts, that... There isn't a sort of uh, game that somebody wins and somebody loses, although often the business of talking about books and selling books um, acts as though there is. So we approached it in the idea that it could only be a snapshot, didn't we? We knew that it couldn't provide us with some definitive answer, and nor should it in a way, because that's not what literature is. But your initial idea that... List somebody very cleverly called it an availability heuristic. Yes, and I actually puzzled slightly over what that meant, and then I kind of worked it out. Yeah. It's what you know, it's the people you can think of, yeah, because yeah. they've already been around quite a lot, yeah. and, and, and are often contributing to papers doing other things as yeah, well, you know, yeah, doing Q and A's right. and you know, supplying other comment pieces. So. so, there are people who are going to float into your mind very quickly, and then you would feel pretty bad about dismissing them. You wouldn't be able to justify saying, No, I don't want to give XYZ a you spot. Can't really Really argue, one level, you exactly. can't you really can't argue... argue with that top 10 slash 11, can you? Because they're all significant figures. But they are... I mean, one of the reasons we're doing it is we, all, we, we started out saying, oh, this canon that often gets raised. Mm. And it was this sort of grant of under 40 from the 80s. It mm. was uh, those names I read out, Amos Rushdie. Although, of course, there are writers on that list. Ursula Bentley would be one, for example, yeah. who we don't talk of so much, do we? Yeah, and one of the great debates in all of these things: why is Jane Austen more popular than than Walter Scott? Or you know, there's there's people who are even less well known than Walter Scott who just have vanished off the pages mm. of history. But at mm. the time when they were writing, they were considered significant, They're, and lots of it's down to luck and all, all, all sorts of factors. But we've ended up with a list. Is it interesting, for example, that there's more women than men on the list? Would that have happened twenty years ago? Probably not. I think. Yeah, I think it wouldn't have happened twenty years ago. So, why, I don't, I, so why? What's the change? I suppose the, the era we live in now is, is slightly more equal opportunities than it was 30 years ago. And I mean, we've got a fair amount of, you know, way to go, but it's, it's just, it's, it's, it's a better climate. I suppose also when you look at the women in that, in that top section and throughout the list, they're not writing what wrongly, of course, and we can argue this till the cows come home, is often called the domestic novel. They're not, and there's a huge diversity in the kind of writing that those women writers are doing and I guess that's partly because they have felt freer to explore other forms other topics other styles yes style's quite a big thing isn't mm. it so you yeah, know we, you can look at Ian McBride you can look at Nicola Barker uh, you can look at Zadie Smith they all write in incredibly different styles yeah yeah do you think because women have always bought more books than men or they certainly do now and is that, does that play into this that, that I just wonder whether women want to read books more by women is that is that a fair assumption to make i don't know well actually i think it's often often argued that still the authority lies with 
with the man, doesn't it? It lies with the male figure. I mean, this list does tend to kind of contradict that idea. But that even though women by most of the books, they'll still tend towards a male figure or a book about men. Yeah, Do you think there's such say. a thing that there is a, I, I, that there's such a thing as male books and, and female books? Because people will say Bronte is an author for women. Women, more girls will read that book than boys. Do you think there's, that that exists anymore, either correctly or incorrectly? Does that exist in people's minds? I think incorrectly it exists in some people's minds. In fact, there was an interview with Hanif Qureshi I noticed in the Guardian last uh. weekend, in which he admitted to not having read the works. I think it was it was yeah, it was Jane Austen, and he basically said, "Yes, Mayor Culper, I will do it at some point." But I've always thought of it as girls, girls' fiction, girls' writing. And I just thought, really, wow. but you know, people do obviously still think like that. I don't think I tend to. When I look at a, a book that I want to read, I, I mean, I'm sure I'm subconsciously processing a whole load of stuff, but the, the, the first thing that enters my mind is certainly not whether it's written by a man or by a woman. Is that true for you, Alex? Yeah, I, it, absolutely. Uh, but I think it's also interesting that when you look, for example, at Contoy Bean, his number what on this list? Six. Six. Feels terrible giving people these numbers, yeah, doesn't yeah. it? And it's Sorry. completely meaningless yeah. and random. Sorry, which Sorry. Ca- 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 you're ca- 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 you were nearly fine. Yeah, but yeah. I'm sorry. We should have done six. this like the top forty, shouldn't we? That would have been cool. Coming you, in at top six, you know, you <laughs> number think, six. You think of his last? Exactly. You think of his last three novels? I guess you think of the House of Names, Nora Webster, um, Brooklyn. Actually, there are probably yeah. more. That probably master. When did he do the master? That was before Brooklyn. Okay. Those are novels. That are really interested in the female perspective. Yeah. Re- you know, they are told from the perspective of women, women's experience, uh, the boxes that women find themselves in, and they go from small town Ireland to way back into Greek mythology. So I think that that idea that people feel, you know, thank God we don't have so much that should a man write a woman's character, and should, yeah. we just, that well, doesn't suppose, seem to know, exist sim- so much. Similarly, number two on the list, Hilary Mantel. I mean, you yeah, know, her, of her, you know, Wolf Ford and the rest of it. That's very male perspective and. But yet, why don't we talk about, because we talk about cultural appropriation, that issue rises, raises its head all, all yeah. the time, the notion, yeah. is it possible for a white novelist to write a black character or to write a whole book from a black perspective? That, to my mind, is a relatively straightforward issue. Yes, obviously, people can write anything they want to. That's the joy of imagination. But that's not entirely accepted as an argument, is it? Well, no. I mean, I guess you... you come to a point in history, you come to a point of relative power, you come to a point of the who has their voices heard, and I think that if you look at someone, for example, like Colin Toybean or uh, Kazuo Ishiguro, often you know, think of one of his best love novels never let me go is narrated by one of the one of its female characters. Um, I think we just see that much more as exploration rather than appropriation but should there's it, something it, it, more and should we extend, should we extend that do you, do you, i mean what do you think of appropriation alex do you think it's a, it's a worry i think it is because it's often done in a way that shoves out voices that aren't being heard enough and hopefully that is something that's changed but that's not- the idea who has the forum who has you know the shell the speaking shell and if actually there's not enough of that to go around then you can't just have people saying hang on i'm I, i'm writing a book now i'm going to tell people's stories it's fine if everyone can tell their story yeah well, theoretically, though, everyone can tell a story, can't they? Because it's, it's also, as I say in the in the piece, though, it's also about not confining people to a story that we're expecting them yeah. to mm-hmm. tell. I mean, that's a very white list, is it not? Or is it? I mean, I don't know. I mean, the, 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 when you it's look at it, pretty white. Yeah, it is yeah, pretty it is. white. Yeah, uh, it is. But what do we feel about that? I mean, you know, thirteen percent of the country uh, are immigrants. So, are we expecting yeah. that should should this list be thirteen percent? 
people that, that, of minority or does that well, I, I said, that list is only going to reflect what's yeah. being published the first decisions are made yeah. by the uh, the people who acquire titles and publishing houses and and we have you know umpteen studies to show that people tend to commission things that speak to them their their particular self their you know probably white quite probably male you know i mean obviously that's changing but and the list kind of feels like it gets more diverse thing. the top 20 seems yeah. to be rather less expected because, is that right because the top 20 sort of again goes from that you know the people who have been established for longer it absolutely does have uh, people on it who are very I mean sally rooney appears really near the top and that's again one of those you know a young, a young, Ir- a young, Irish. young Irish. if you look at that top 10 11 though it isn't a very straight white English male list, no, is true. it? You know, yeah, no, yeah. I've got a, I've got a <laughs> like John McGregor. <laughs> John McGregor. He feels really under. <laughs> I, I guess I you're, you're absolutely right. Actually, I, I, mean, I ought to say that he's he's a doesn't live in London. He doesn't live in London, and of course, Ishgur is British, but not British-born. Yeah, uh, you know, and has done such interesting things throughout his writing career with this, you know, really deconstructing the idea of what the English novel is. Yeah. You know, yeah. in a way, his whole body of work is a sort of pulling apart of the English novel and the idea and, of these kind and, of weird junctions. And to a certain extent, so is another British uh, novelist, Sadie, Sadie Smith, who's yeah, obviously partly yeah. from an immigrant background. And yeah, it's actually it's a similar I, thing, but in different ways. I think one, one of the interesting things that's come of this whole exercise is that you see, and not so much with the top 11, um, but certainly one or two of them, I think, they're people who were sort of came up through the small presses, small independent mm. presses, rather than the big main publishing houses. Uh, and, and that would be, I think, Claire Louise Bennett is, is, is in there somewhere as well. So people who've come up through small small publishers and are doing something different, you know, pushing the boundaries of the Eamon form. Eamon McBride is probably... Eamon McBride mm. is yeah. the classic yeah. example. Um, you better talk about Eamon McBride. <laughs> I think I've talked enough about Eamon McBride <laughs> on this <laughs> podcast. <laughs> no, it's not absolutely, so, you know, the famous story there is she was picked up by Galley Baker Press, which was a tiny press, and then as soon as she started doing incredibly well and winning prizes, and she there was a whole fractious thing about it, but she ended up going to Faber, and she's now with one of the bigger presses. But absolutely, I think that the place so of the small s- press in contemporary literary culture is incredibly yeah, important. Yeah, that's absolutely right. And it, actually, we had there was this, this prize that the TLS sponsored recently, the Republic of Consciousness Prize, which was dedicated to small presses and to helping them. And one of the points of it is they don't actually need a great deal of money to run; they just need mm. a little bit. A couple and of thousand pounds. A couple of thousand pounds can make a massive, they massive need difference. Money to help them manage success. Yeah, absolutely. Mm. And this is one this, of the, this, the kind of madness of what mm. happens if you yeah. do enjoy a bit of success absolutely. and then you. you Shortlisted for the book runs, and, and the marketing you know, budgets. You the have marketing, to... huge and and absurd, and you kind of think that's a point at which. I think larger publishers who will often pick up mm. uh, on the successes of smaller publishers, as we've seen, uh, really need to think about kind of stepping in and establishing so that some a healthy, kind of fund to help that. Is that mm. a healthy channel at the moment? So we talk about you know you can point to a success like. Ema McBride uh, and there's other examples. The, there's the guy who wrote the what was it called the Lonely, um, the Lonely, the Lonely, yeah, which is an example of a small press that yeah. got it picked up by by John Murray. Is this a healthy Alex? Do you think that do you think that the channel is working or is it too blocked and too? I, I'm not. You, I don't think you'd want to look at it and condemn it because I think it's really interesting that a writer will often these writers say actually who you've mentioned Emma McBride Andrew Michael Hurley published relatively late on in their lives by you know the 22 year old overnight success sort of uh, you know argument and it suited them it worked for them and the fact that their books then went on to 
achieve a wider audience because they were picked up by publishers who had better mechanisms to make that happen is something that I don't think we ought to look too askance at. But of course, we ought also to say what is preventing publishers from doing that, larger publishers from doing that for themselves. We should look at what this says about the state of literary fiction or indeed where there is such a thing as literary fiction. So we'll do that next. Mom deserves the best, and there's no better place to shop for Mother's Day than Whole Foods Market. They're your destination for unbeatable savings, from premium gifts to show-stopping flowers and irresistible desserts. Start by saving 33% with Prime on all body care and candles. Then get a 15-stem bunch of tulips for just $9.99 each with Prime. Round out Mom's menu with festive rosé, irresistible berry chantilly cake, and more special treats. Come celebrate Mother's Day at Whole Foods Market. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number Smart Beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 40% on the Sleep Number Limited Edition Smart Bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com slash awards. Only at Sleep Number stores or sleepnumber.com. When you're ready to pop the question, the last thing you want to do is second-guess the ring. At BlueNile.com, you can design a one-of-a-kind ring with the ease and convenience of shopping online. Choose your diamond and setting. When you found the one, you'll get it delivered right to your door. Go to BlueNile.com and use promo code LISTEN to get $50 off your purchase of $500 or more. That's code LISTEN at BlueNile.com for $50 off your purchase. BlueNile.com, code LISTEN. So, Alex, you were the one who interviewed Will Self. For his, late, for his latest I proclamation was. about the death of the novel, oh, so but we I have you. To, we, we have we have, zoom in there. we have we have you to blame for this. I'm actually coming into work, and someone's saying to me, "Will Self's talked about the death of the novel again." He's been talk, talking about it for 15 years at least. So and, what? Yeah. No, no, it's fine. I don't. I don't. Good interview. Have a strong interview. Look, solid interview. I'm I not criticising that. I interviewed him, and let's just be clear: it was the kind of interview. You know, it was a Q and A interview, so it was all his words uh, proceeding from a conversation that that we had rather than me sort of commenting on it. And I did actually sort of put a check on myself when I realised I was storming into social media and sticking up for him. And I thought, hang on, these aren't my words. They're not my thoughts. But I do agree with him. Go on then. And I have, well, Explain I, the thesis. Explain you the have thesis. now said, I think three times you said the death of novel. He did not say the novel was dead. Oh, what did he say? He said that the novel was going to become as marginal a cultural form yeah. as the easel painting or the classical symphony. Now, that is a slightly different thing. He did use the word doom in there. He said doomed to become. He did say doomed. Just thought I'd add that. But the yeah. idea that somehow what everyone took from that, and by everyone I mean everyone who was bored enough on a Sunday to take to Twitter, and many of them were actually novelists who I have to say I think should know better yeah. it wasn't me I want to be clear I, 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 didn't, I didn't pile no, in no you didn't no, exactly. you were doing something useful I'm sure I doubt that very much um, classifying cheese or whatever <laughs> yeah. but I like to do that work actually the, <laughs> the point is that they took one thing from it which is basically that he was saying there weren't any good novels 
He didn't say that at all. Nobody focused on the other parts of the interview where he talked about contemporary novelists of a younger generation who he really liked. Unbelievably, Toby, one of them was Emma McBride. Of course. Amazing. She of course. just keeps coming up. I know. Um, you know, uh, who else did he mention? Tom McCarthy. He's very, he was talking he about He pops up people. in our list in about the middle, doesn't he? Yes. He'd actually go nearer the top than that, I think. Yeah. I think he's fairly near the top. You know, he talked with immense strength and interest and excitement about the kind of writing that he liked. What he talked about was how it was being shoved out from what we thought of as entertainment because no one would allow there to be a flourishing of the novel. I'm now putting words into his Well, that's mouth. an interesting question because there's a, there's, a, there's a whole point in this where he surely is right, which is that the economics of yeah. fiction... He's partly talking straightforwardly about economics. Which is a fair argument. And he's it? partly talking about the kind of complexity of style that we licence, basically. And he certainly was making points. And these, again, you can be agreed or disagreed with, and I wouldn't say I wholly agreed with him on this, about the... Um, the way that what we really all wanted was social realism and he doesn't think that that reflects anything about sort of how we actually live contemporary life and his three novels the the you know the the trilogy that he's just yeah. uh, finished with phone is as we know incredibly uh you know it, it doesn't have very many paragraphs I think it's, it's, modern, it's, it's modern it basically it's, 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 modern, it's, it's very modern he's pretty fed up with everybody going on about the, the paragraphs i must say and, and i've just done it sorry will <laughs> i re- I, re- I reviewed it. umbrella for the spectator when it came out and i did i was hugely impressed by it it's a hugely impressive piece of sustained yeah. imagination it is incredibly hard to read unquestionably it seems to me you can get into the rhythm of it a bit and i also imagine what the editor must feel because he says can i see this the manuscript will and will says here it is 700 pages there's like four sentences in it how do you possibly edit that how do you say there's this long sort of uh, bit here that that, that that seems to sort of run into each other is that deliberate of course it's deliberate well i mean i, I, I can just try to imagine imagine editing that trilogy when you're doing impossible. your next special issue i think you should demand to see the edited manuscript yeah, it'd be that would be just brilliant it and would. I mean, i'm only half joking turns out that he originally turned in a piece of social realism and it's all the editor's fault <laughs> yeah, yeah. But, you know, so i it, think it's a brilliant trilogy but it's not it doesn't have to be the only kind of novel so what's you his point so what's his point then he thinks that the the world of that challenging difficult fiction is no longer appreciated I think what he thinks is that writing like that loosely you can call it modernism he sort of refers to himself Eamon McBride and Tom McCarthy as, as, as neo-modernists that they're designated that rather than it's a title they're claiming for themselves um but that that is somehow regarded as out, outside of the mainstream, and I do think there's something. That's in not, that. And that's not a particularly new thing either. No, I mean, it's, it's 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 sort but of. But it is outside the mainstream. But that then transfers into a kind of value judgment. I think is his but point. I think the level of. I think you should ring him. Oh, no, no. But <laughs> I, I mean, I think one of the one of the. But Ulysses is outside the mainstream yeah. in the same way. It's very difficult to read. Ah, oh, well, there you go. This is something. Of course, you always look at your, you know, the cutting room floor. And I, I mean, I spoke to him for quite a long time, and I couldn't fit all of it into the interview. But he made the point that I think is sort of fairly unarguable that uh, when James Joyce said that his wish was that every taxi driver in Dublin uh, would have read Ulysses, there was more of a chance of that actually being a reality because there was such a huge upsurge in literacy. There was such an interest in the written word and what it could do and that we just don't have that same interest. And there were fewer distractions, yeah. So we're we're edging around this question, which we've talked about before, uh, Alex, about literary fiction. 
Well, you know, I hate it as a diagnosis. But is there such a is there such a thing as the, I mean, is this a list of literary fiction? It is. If, if, if we're going to have a term yeah. called literary fiction, this is certainly a list of literary fiction. But I, I think probably Despite like Alex, best I, efforts. I, we'll I, come to I, that in a second. I, I, I get I get kind of quite cross about these very very hard and fast definitions. I was thinking about this in relation to film. I mean, we seem mm. perfectly at ease with you know we've got your blockbuster or whatever, and then we've sort of got other films, and you can call them art house films or whatever. But we don't seem to get so tied up in knots about films so you can have a or tv or tv yeah. but you know you can have you know a, a, i don't know ben affleck uh, movie like um uh the, the the one with the cia uh argo winning yeah. winning best oscar and you can have a paul thomas anderson film being you know shortlisted for best Oscar, you know the hugely challenging film um uh the phantom thread and we just we don't seem to be so worried about that in other art forms i don't know why We're not because the same kind of idea of prestige and class and how clever we are. It just doesn't attach in the same way. Mm. Now, it's true that we're all not going, you know, I'm absolutely exhausted, I'm going to open a bottle of wine and have a night in with Bunuel. We're mm. not doing that, are we? Occasion. We're kind of like, yeah, you know, let's fire up sort of Happy Valley or something. You know, we yeah. know, I mean, there are differences. But it is so much more obvious the way people will feel absolutely happy to say on the one hand I'm reading this quite challenging novel but hey now I'm going to watch Queer Eye for the Straight Guy and not fit in fact it's a badge of honour isn't well, it that you can go high low but I don't think it exists in the same way. I like the point you make in your piece about how we just we've got this obsession with the novel as a repository of everything and we sort of yeah, we, we demand it's a, cipher. Heart, it's a cipher of, of all art and I thought you, you put that really really nicely. Does literary fiction then mean books that aren't going to be read by many people? I think it's sort of come to mean that, hasn't it? Yeah. Which is why publishers have been desperate for what they to call get rid crossover. Of the term. And yet, though, yeah. if you look at this list so of people... These... No, no authors like it. Exactly. No, but, novelists like but if you look at this list of the top ten, which we would say are literary fiction, they seem to be the people who will sell at a commercially rapid rate. So Hilary Mantel being the obvious example, she sells literally hundreds of thousands of books. I would imagine all of those on the, the top list sell a lot of books, don't they? Um, Certainly Ali Smith, I would think. The Zadie Smith, the Zishiguru, now will do more than ever. Yeah. I mean, it depends what you mean by a lot, though. I mean, Hilary yeah. Mantel, certainly. But I don't, you know, I, you'll have to ask Hilary John Hilary Mantel, McGra- now. Yeah, now, exactly. Yeah. She'd been writing for Hilary 30 Mantel, years before. Yeah, through all those wonderful exactly, books exactly. That, that, you know, uh, did so many different things and were so strange and wide-ranging. And we're still talking about, well, is often tens of thousands. We're not, we're for, for, for not many of them are going to be selling over 100,000 of their next novel. And has it ever been this? I mean, uh, is the argument that, well, back in the Victorian times when, when Dickens was writing serialised novels, mm. people were queuing up to see if Little Nell was going to die and there was this, there was this it was a centrality to the culture because there was nothing else. There was, right. there was no other medium at all other than the written word. And you can't ever get back to that because all of those other media have come back in. You can't get back to it, but neither are we really putting in place the conditions where it's even vaguely possible. Mm. I mean, we don't have, you know, the the small journal publishing short stories in newspapers and magazines. We just don't have that culture. What we have is other means of supporting novelists by teaching, for example. So, the, you know, the explosion of creative writing courses. Or charity. Or charity. Or charity. Or charity. Or the, the, the authors. authors. And, and, exactly. prizes. and the endless tours and, the en- and prizes. Tours and prizes. And, 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 you know, the availability heuristic, making sure that you're available to write those yeah. op-ed pieces. For Do whoever. we think there should be subsidies? So one of the things that comes out of this, that you look at theatre in this country, there an awful lot of the Arts Council money goes to theatre because it's seen as part of us as a tourist attraction whereas novels are a sort of individual uh, transaction with a publishing house and, a, 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 and an author so yeah. it's not supported that way would you be comfortable if the government said we would put aside X million pounds to support authors or should we not say 
the market is king here. People will pay for what they want to buy, and if, if people enough people buy it, that will be a success. I I resist the kind of market is king idea because I was just looking at some. I have a small child staying in my house at the moment, and uh, her being on holiday and me being having missed her birthday, I thought, well, perhaps she'd like to go to see Matilda. Yeah, lovely. £122 for a ticket? I don't think so. Yeah. We can walk around the park. <laughs> she can have Poor a hot kid. chocolate. Poor I mean, kid. for God's sake. have a lot of hot chocolate for and, that price. So, you know, so this idea of the kind of subsidy, I know it's very expensive to put on yeah. musicals and it's not. Although in terms of the time it takes to, for an author to write a book, it's, you know, we can't get to that position. It doesn't I, open out right, in the yeah, menu, But they don't subsidise Matilda, do they? They will subsidise some... some you know, theatre in, in a provincial but, uh, town. Art's right? always relied on patrons and governments in whatever form they take. So I'm completely. So, sh- so should it? So should novelists get a bit more of the? Of yeah, the, of I'm, the wedge? T- I'm totally happy How with that. How do they get Absolutely. it? Absolutely, that's I, the question. Well, don't ask me. You know, being on the spot now. <laughs> not quite I mean, I'm, what's the sort of channel? What's I mean? Well, I know I mean, what I you mean. You've already got the Arts Council, which which does things, and so I mean, I, I guess you. I did this thing for the Authors Society where there's a, and I didn't realise this existed. It really brought this home to me. So it's a, it's an award that's given to writers who have a book deal. And they write in and they say, I've got a book deal. I need five grand to go and finish my yeah. book. And then I saw this list of names, two or three books in, and they've all been published by big publishers and they earn eight grand a year. Yeah. Right? They, it's unlivable and they want five grand to survive the next year so they can finish this, this book that they're writing. And it's an incredibly sobering experience. And you see these people who are writing good stuff, they're good writers. Mm. And then I remember talking to someone there, and the other argument is, though, if they're three or four books into a career and they can't make up enough money from writing books, at some point does reality have to kick in and say, if you're not making enough money from books, then maybe you have to pick another job because there's the, the market isn't there for you, the audience... Well, the isn't... market isn't there is the issue, not the market isn't there for them. I mean, my, my well, point really about, you know, uh, flippant though it was about not wanting to shell out loads of money to go and see a musical in the West End, is that books are so cheap. Books are incredibly cheap. They will absorb you for days and days and weeks at a time and you've paid a tenner for them. Um, so... Yes, we do need to put... But we can't make them more expensive because we don't sh- want to shut people out. No. So, yes, I agree that we have to support... I don't know what the best way to do it. I certainly think not closing all the libraries would be a start. Yeah, I mean, so that's... that's, 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 that's we talked about that last week on the so podcast. It, I think in the 90s, the average um, literary fiction, not that we're using that term, sort of sold... I was looking at this up recently, about 3,000 copies. The average novel of literary fiction. Now it's about 300 copies, but a lot of that was to do with libraries because you could sort of be guaranteed mm. that yeah. maybe a 1,000 libraries across the country were going to buy your book and that's, that was a really firm basis. So that's completely been removed. Yeah. So, so should genre novelists, Alex Clark, <laughs> be on this list? Because in, in lots of ways, uh, they excite people. The question was, what uh, who are writing exactly. good stuff, they're exciting, you feel excited about. And one of the respondents said... Lee Child. I'm excited about the new Lee Child. And I replied, I fucking love Lee Child, because I do love Lee Child. Among lots of genres, I love genre novels. I read and reread them. I think they're a very um, comforting use of time. Like you say, you can spend a little bit of money and then you can be completely absorbed and engrossed. Mm. What is so wrong with that, Alex Clark? Nothing. What did you criticise me for in the piece then? 
Um, oh, trying to skew that you say the person said Lita. I think you were just you were kind of cementing what? literary he, taste. No, you, they, no, 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 he you said would say, Lee yes, Child. I, I love. So it just became a great big kind of Lee Childathon, didn't it? Well, he'd already nominated his people. I simply said with a swear word, which I accept doesn't make me look good, as in none of this actually makes me look good. <laughs> uh, I fucking love Lee Child, but. I do love Lee Child, and there's a whole range of genre novels. James Elroy, I always talk about on this um, this podcast as well. Genre novelists who make me... P.G. Woodhouse, he's a genre novelist. You're looking at me as if I'm going to argue with you, well, and you? I'm not. Okay. Why would I? Lee Child didn't make the cut, so you, you clearly your 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 enthusiastic uh, input didn't, yeah. you didn't which, shape things. Which confined itself to an email, so I think I... Uh, my, 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 now a paragraph and now yeah. it's a piece. Yeah. Which my honour is unimpeached And now here. a few minutes yeah. from the podcast. Uh, <laughs> but should, no there, been, should, there have been, should there have been a genre? Would you, you, actually, if, the, if people have been honest rather than ostentatious, if we're going to take this at its, at its cruelest... Right. Who would that list have contained? I don't think people were yeah. that ostentatious, no, actually, okay. because you ask, it's anonymous. We keep that, don't we, to our grave. Yeah. We're not going to rat on anyone. But you ask people what they were most looking forward to. Now, there's a whole other thing here. You didn't write to them from the pages of what's on TV magazine or yeah. Heat magazine. You wrote to them yeah. from the Times. So you've got it in your flipping title. Yeah. You know, don't start <laughs> complaining about the word literary now. Yeah. It's in your name. It's yeah. over the shop door. Yeah, I've just noticed and that, yeah. naturally, there is a kind of self-selected, you know, yep. people, you know, come on. And neither, and I, you know, we said we're not going to reveal. You asked people in publishing, you asked writers, uh, you asked journalists, critics, yeah. all sorts of people, but you didn't send it to, I don't know, 100 pop stars, no. 100 sportsmen and women, you know? Who do we think if we'd asked 100 random people? What names do you think... Lee Child. Do you think Lee Child? Well, probably. I mean, I actually, I, who would have come up? That's a very good question. Yeah. But it's a question that actually, you don't have to ask me. You can ask people. Yeah. You can do this again. We should probably do this again a with, Vox, a compo- yeah, with a, with a, with a completely station. different... Please, not a Vox I'm joking. No. <laughs> are you up for it? You, yeah. No, I'm really yeah. not up for it. I can't tell you the I'm going to take that from that that you are up for that, Alex. I But I mean, is it books like that Eleanor Oliphant book, which is doing incredible business? But you see, I think that's a really interesting questions i actually that, really delighted that that book's doing so well i enjoyed it i think i see a lot of people really enjoying yeah, it very my much my wife read it and she just loved it great it the thing that it does is fulfill that thing that the, the reason it's making so much noise is not only because people are really enjoying it and it's selling lots of copies but because it is that thing that publishers are desperate to find that sort of crossover success that thing that they know is a sort of proper novel because it has characters and it's well written and it's not you know something that you're going to read and just sort of toss onto the onto the the kind of uh pile for the charity shop uh but uh they know it's also accessible it's, it's not, got it's readability umbrella. it's got it's not umbrella and that is of clearly a sort of really important market and it's not a market that we or anyone should be snobbish about no, why you know why would we be what's the point in being because the i mean it's i suppose it's the idea that that literary fiction that there's this kind of immense fragility surrounding it because people aren't making very much money because it is perceived as elitist uh because um 
we don't have in this country a particularly healthy attitude towards the people we call intellectuals or public yeah. intellectuals. And like, say, France. Exactly. I mean, you know, yeah, France is a whole nother <laughs> issue, isn't it? But, you know, because we have those ideas about, of course, there's a defensiveness about literary fiction, and I understand it entirely. But sort of kicking the cat by kind of, you know, not liking these lower brow books is just stupid. Yeah. Also, it's, it's often the more the more popular books that pay for the so-called literary fiction anyway. So, I mean, yeah. you know, we, we, yeah. we, 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 we need sales across the board, really, don't we? We need David Williams to prop up a whole yeah, publishing. Absolutely. Business. And colouring in books to, you know, <laughs> do that as well. Yeah. Um, I think that's probably all we have time for. Uh, Alex, what fun... What it fun was your, fun. Uh, what I, fun your piece was as well. Can I add something in? Yeah, Not course. out of just sort of, uh, you know, I just want to... We spoke kind of briefly at the beginning about diversity and the whiteness of the list and I actually think it's not a list it's not as sort of straightforwardly white as it were no. uh, as it would, may have been 10 years ago I also think it'll be a totally different list in 10 years time and arguably and in I two think, years time I th- and arguably in two years time and I know how enraging it is and rightly so when people just say things will change you just have to wait I think they are changing I also think literary culture is sort of a bit like gardening in the sense not just the time that you personally put in but actually things do take time novels are not a quick fix so it's not kind of writing a pop song sorry pop song writers what you're saying effectively here Alex is this time in 10 years time we'll do this again I hope we'll do it (laughs) five years time back here yeah go on done. Uh, Thanks go to Alex Clark and Toby Lishtig. Do subscribe to the TLS, Google TLS subscriptions for the best offer or pick up a copy of this paper as well as the TLS's first ever listicle from Alex Clark. We have Thomas Meany taking on critic James Wood and all sorts of other goodies. Next week we will be plunging into Victoriana. Imagine if there'd been a list of novelists writing in 1858. That would have been something to talk. We're not going to talk about it. We could do a whole new podcast on that list. Uh, in that period. Until then, from Thea and from me, goodbye. Hi, I'm Daniel, founder of Pretty Litter. Cats and cat owners deserve better than any old-fashioned litter. That's why I teamed up with scientists and veterinarians to create Pretty Litter. Its innovative crystal formula has superior odor control and weighs up to 80% less than clay litter. Pretty Litter even monitors health by changing colors to help detect early signs of potential illness. It's the world's smartest kitty litter. Go to prettylitter.com and use code ACAST for 20% off your first order and a free cat toy. Terms and conditions apply. See site for details. When you make decisions for your company, you look for the no-brainers. If you have a lot of mailing to do, Stamps.com is the ultimate no-brainer. Use the Stamps.com mobile app to mail everything you need to keep your business running with up to 89% off USPS and UPS. Make the same no-brainer decision as over 1 million other businesses with Stamps.com. Use code PROGRAM for a special offer. That's Stamps.com, code PROGRAM.